Hey, it's Andrea. Today, our phaser math doesn't add up. We get a gruesome Soviet history lesson, and we ask the question, how big does an asteroid have to be to have its own gravitational pull? Hang out with us. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. I'm your co-host, Andrea. Today, we're talking Season 3, Episode 11, The Hunted, written by Robin Bernheim and directed by Cliff Bull. It is Stardate 43489.2. While the Enterprise is reviewing a seemingly idyllic planet's application for Federation membership, an escaped prisoner leads her crew to discover an ugly secret, the government's shameful treatment of its war veterans. Bum, bum, bum. So my first thought was, uh-oh, not another candidate for membership. Because the last time we had a candidate for membership, I'm pretty sure it was the Antikins and the Sele in season one. <laughs> right. And that did not go well. So I was like, oh, this does not bode well. Just the fact that we have applicants, like you guys probably aren't going to get in. Yes. Just, just being honest, you're probably not going to get in. Yeah, it's not going to go well. And it's going to end with blood as this one probably did. Um, this episode was actually written as an allegory to the treatment of U.S. veterans of the Vietnam mm-hmm. War. Yes, a very like American thinly society. veiled um, allegory. Yes, very thinly veiled. Um, but I did think that it was really interesting to watch this and see so many parallels with the way that the U.S. in general kind of treats their veterans. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, that sounds about right. And the surprise is they're treated really shitty. So that's mm. the surprise ending. But um, do you have any initial thoughts on this before we really jump in? Um. This episode was really cool. You and I were talking a little bit about it off mic. And mm-hmm. I was saying this, this guy, the escaped prisoner is like Jason Bourne in space. Yeah. I'm like obsessed with Jason Bourne. And so put him in space. Yes, please. So I was like, yeah. really, I really, really enjoyed this episode so much. I could, I did not know what was going to happen from scene to scene to scene, mm-hmm. like how he was going to figure things out. And it was just, it was wonderful. Yeah. What about you? Um, I agree. I actually just wrote what a fun watch because it was suspenseful and fun, but in a really great, like actiony, like you said, Jason Bourne, like popcorny way. Mm-hmm. Um, I am just sort of picturing what the writer's room must have looked like as they were putting together the script for this and how they had to think like five steps ahead to think three steps back so that mm. they could write it. Like mm-hmm. that must've just been so cool. This whole episode felt like one big cat and mouse and I loved it. I do have two teeny little pieces of trivia. One that you might be surprised by. The actor who starred as Roga Danar, his name is Jeff McCarthy. He made a second Star Trek appearance playing the original Doctor and Voyager who dies in the pilot episode. Oh, no way. Okay, yeah. yeah no, I did not know that because that guy dies like very, very quickly. So yeah. I'll have to go back and rewatch it. Yes. Okay. So once I knew that and I was like, well, Sharice is like the super Voyager fan. I was like, let me go watch like the pilot episode. And you only see a teeny little bit of his face because he's lying like face down. Mm-hmm. So I was like, ah, okay. It's so easy to like not know. That that's, it kind of <laughs> felt like the Utah episode where it's like, here's a piece of an eyeball. Extrapolate the whole head. <laughs> yes. <know>? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how would we have known? And then the prime minister of this uh, episode Um, he is played by an actor named James Cromwell, who's made a bunch of Star Trek appearances. So if you feel like you've seen him before, you have, although he is best known as playing Zephram Cochran in First Contact. Oh my gosh. He totally did play Zephram Cochran. Every time I see him in any movie show, TV series, what have you, all I can think of is babe. That's all I can think of because he was a farmer. You're right. So like crap. Yeah. So every word he was saying, I even remember that. I just kept hearing, I'll do pig. I'll do like, that's all I heard. So <laughs> every time I see him in anything, it's babe. And I, yeah, that's right. He was Zephyrin Cochran, which is like a big deal. Yes. In the universe. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Never would I have thought of babe because I only saw babe once, like when it first mm-hmm. came out and I was a kid, never, ever would have thought of that. But he just has one of those faces and voices where you're like, I know him from somewhere and I trust him. That's yes. All, that's you know him from like. everywhere. And yeah. he always plays a super trustworthy character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like very prime ministery. Mm-hmm. 
Um, all right. So that's my trivia. Um, let's just jump right in. The Enterprise arrives at Angosia 3, and this planet has expressed a desire to join the Federation. And this planet looks so cool. Oh, my God. So the cool. city? The, the city, city and everything? so cool. Yes. This might be the first in TNG where we see, like, those really kick-ass cityscapes. Like, those become pretty standard around season four, five, and onward. Mm-hmm. Um, like, when you see the Klingon homeworld, it's like, a huge sprawling city, but Mm -hmm. we've only seen like in Ensigns of Command where like Data had to evacuate all those people. We just see like Mm -hmm. a little town square, but you don't see like a CGI rendering of like what a whole city would look like. I think we did see it when Wesley went to like his Academy tryouts, but that was like a star base on a planet. So Mm. similar, but different. Also very cool. Also very cool. And anytime they want to do it, I am all about it. I just love the look of it. And then getting into the city and seeing like how kind of prim and proper everybody was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could see Picard and Riker were pretty impressed, but I was like, I don't know. Applications don't really, (laughs) I I don't have high hopes for you guys. I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) Did did the like cleanliness and prim and properliness, if that's even a word, which it is not. Did it remind you at all of like the Mariposan Society? Because that was too perfect. (laughs) You know what? It didn't. But now that you mention it, it absolutely does. And I remember Riker (laughs) said like, they're a little too stiff for me, right? They were just too polished. Like it seemed like they just didn't have any fun. They're like the opposite of the, uh, in the Utah episode, those like, um, forget the name of those aliens that were. Brule and the like the gatherers, the gatherers, that's it. Yes. The gatherers that were just like so rough and tumble and sure they were pirates, but also they seemed fun. Like you can yeah. have a good time with them, but these people, they're like very prim and proper, but also seem super boring. Like the Mariposans. Yeah. Super boring. Yeah. What they really need is an infusion of Irish people to come and <laughs> kick shit around or something, p- pick up hay and put down hay and like, yeah. <laughs> okay. So here's the thing though. This episode doesn't really kick off until like 30 seconds into the episode where they're like, uh oh, there's a problem. Bum 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 bum. Mm-hmm. A prisoner has broken out from the penal colony, which I still can never hear without being like <laughs> penal colony. But <laughs> <laughs> so Sharice is shaking her head because she's I really way am. Grown I'm like up. we are we are super grown, Andrea. Like <laughs> we can't even pretend to be near teenagers. We're like super not grown, even, but not. But even in any close. case. That's but what happened. penal colony sounds sort of funny to me. Okay, anyway, so a prisoner has broken out from this penal colony, and it's called Lunar 5. It's on this moon, which makes sense. And mm-hmm. the Enterprise offers to help locate the prisoner. And they do, like, data's at the helm, because, you know, Riker and Picard are down checking out this planet. Mm-hmm. And data locates the ship, but this little ship, like, very quickly eludes them. And this was And it flies behind like, an asteroid yeah and they're like okay like it's going behind an asteroid we'll just pick it up on the on the other side and then it like never comes back out and they're like wait what and they go around the asteroid and the ship's gone and you're like no there's no way it has no warp drive we would have seen it hightailing out of here we've got this highly powerful ship how did this little ship escape us and it was so great because picard was just like don't worry the enterprise will find it um go ahead uh number one go ahead and get that ship go and you know track your beam in and pull (laughs) it back down here oh yes right away sir and data's like oh this will be no problem and then they're like sir we lost it i'm sorry what yeah we 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 lost it immediately is like (laughs) it eluded the enterprise it's like now we know we're dealing with someone who has we got... underestimated about 10 seconds ago. Yeah, exactly. But here's something I thought was kind of cool. Riker does consider that maybe the prisoner who we know, because the prime minister told us a few minutes ago, his name is Roga Danar, might be hiding in the gravitational pull of the asteroid, thus cloaking it from the ship's sensors. And I went, number one, this is a cool little callback to the Riker maneuver from peak performance, where mm-hmm. he like went and hid, you know, in mm-hmm. the planet's gravitational field. But I thought... That asteroid does not look very big. It's big enough to have a gravitational pull. Like that just seemed really weird to me, which of course made me wonder like how big does an asteroid have to be? Although Mm -hmm. I didn't care enough to really look it up, but I was like, it's like half the size of the enterprise. I don't think you get a gravitational pull, but whatever. I mean, data looks it up and there he was. And then all of a sudden, like the the little drive section is missing and then there's no light side. Like there's just a whole lot of like, what is going on here? Yeah. So let's peel that apart a little bit because this is actually a very clever, clever scene and cleverly Mm -hmm. shot scene as well, where Riker's like, oh my gosh, they're the ship. You know, it is there. It was exactly doing what I thought it was going to do. So they're like, all right, 
let's snatch it. So I think they try to tractor it or something and the drive section escapes and they're like, oh, like he must be hiding in the drive section. So they go to try to analyze that. And then turns out he's actually in some other smaller piece that's been broken off of the ship. So he keeps doing this like really elaborate escaping um, escape attempts. Mm. And the only reason that he was caught is because data anticipated what he would do based on what he did before. Mm. And it calculated the probability of him trying that again, whereas any human would have fallen for the bait and pretty much like, you know, data to the rescue without data, like they wouldn't have never found him. And I don't know how he would have escaped where he was planning to go, how far he could have possibly gotten without the whole rest of his ship. Um, and then the thing about Danar is that he doesn't have any life signs. Yes. Which is been, so we, cool. Yeah. Which we find out later he's been altered. So he doesn't have life mm-hmm. signs, but at the time we don't know that. And we're just like, wait, so where is he? He's mm-hmm. nowhere. There's no one there. Like yeah. that. I mean, all of this, you're just like, we are dealing with a very clever person. And yes. um, Prime Minister Nyrock is just like, you know, he's very, very, very dangerous. He's extremely dangerous and he's armed and like, you can't take your eye off of him for a second. Um, and so you're like, crap, he's smart and dangerous. This is not a good combination. Yes. This is a great combination unless you're going after the guy, in which case it's a very bad combination. <laughs> yes. And I, I do love that they finally end up kind of pinning him down. And um, the crew is like, look, anything that is roughly humanoid size or shape, like beam it aboard. Mm-hmm. And so they they beam Dinar aboard and he quickly proceeds to beat the shit out of the security guards. Mm-hmm. And I love that O'Brien is behind the panel going, more security, more secu- more security. <laughs> and you see him kind of like ducking lower and lower by the panel. And then, you know, good old O'Brien, he does like jump in and he gets beaten the hell out of like yeah. immediately. I think he had the right idea in the first place just to hide and call for backup. <laughs> hide behind yeah. your transporter panel, which would take Dana. Dana- in- 0.01 second to get around but he didn't see you and didn't hear you saying security um security we need a little bit more help help yes and then we more go into security. the most the most epic hallway battle yes ever. thank you oh my word this is such a good battle and i love how Worf like protects Riker and like mm-hmm. i mean it's just like this whole time you're kind of like oh my gosh what have we stumbled into and at the same time you a little bit want Danar to win <laughs> because yes. he's just so cool <laughs> yes he is so cool you just want to see you just don't want the match to be over this early because you're like I want to yes. see what else he could do because we're currently I, at like minute four of the episode or yes something. yes and it's been two minutes of like this fucking Starfleet tour and two minutes of Danar beating the shit out of everybody and it's been mm-hmm. awesome and mm-hmm. Worf does peek out from like behind the turbo lift which I thought was kind of cool to see like Worf being like really cautious for the first time ever and Ever. And he like charges down the hallway on top of Danar. And then like multiple other security guards finally come around because they've been kind of revived and they pile on. And then I don't know if you noticed this, but Riker totally had a little FOMO because he like showed up after all this. And like, it was like the 15th person on the dog pile where you're like, why even get on the dog pile at this point? <laughs> like there's so many people. And he kind of just like ended up leaning on the guy. And I think the the director must've been like, that's not going to work for the shot. Like we'll reset it because the next thing you see Riker's like pinning his arms to the ground going like call for security and back up and like whatever else, you know, and set phasers on kill or super stun or fucking mm-hmm. toast. But like, yeah. I did think it was no, funny that, yeah, Riker was like just kind of like leaning on the dog pile because the dog pile was so high at that point. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. we don't need you at this point, no. man. You're a little late. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that, but I'll go rewatch it just to laugh at Riker. <laughs> it's, it is worth a good laugh. Um, so they end up subduing Danar and putting him in the brig. This is the first time we see the brig as we know it and love it in TNG because in the Klingon episode when they were like. MacGyvering their mm-hmm. uniforms together. They were just kind of like in a, in a room, but this was like a good proper brig with like a comm station and like mm-hmm. a, the force field and all that. So this is the first little time cells. we actually see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Although um, I did feel like, cause I feel like they said something about like maximum security or whatever. There was one guy outside that place. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. ah, again, your security team you guys are the flagship and I'm just not impressed yeah. by your security at nope. all. Nope. Nope. I, I would mean, not want to be a very special delegate on the enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> I would not. I don't know. 
Nyrock wants him to be sedated. And he makes yes. a point of saying, make sure you sedate him at all times. And I was like, mm, that's a little fishy. Like, Very, a little so fishy. Yeah, you've got him already arrested and we're going to return him. And we've learned that he's very clever and you're telling us he's ridiculously dangerous. But why does he need to be sedated? And every time I hear that in Trek where they're like, oh, are they unconscious? Bring them to me immediately. You're like, what are you trying to hide? Why are you being so sneaky? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, this was like drug him as much as possible to where he's hardly moving. And it's like, yeah, that's not, that doesn't sound right. That's not our style. We're just going to hand him back to you. Yes. I do want to go back real quick. Daynor is tossing and turning and having a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And Troy is bouncing down the corridor and picks As up Troy's on it. As Troy's ought to do. As Troy's ought to do. Well, she was just coming She's from poking her head in, she, from poking her head into like three, four transporter rooms to see what was going on and a couple of holodecks. And then she was like, I'm just going to bounce and flounce up to the bridge or whatever. <laughs> but she was actually really, really, really helpful in this episode. So she I, is so I, critical in this episode. And this so one right useful. here where she picks up on his nightmares and is like, mm-hmm. something's up and she goes over. You're yes. like, oh, wow. That's again, that's something that only Troy could do. And this was my big complaint about Troy in season one is she was so superfluous, just such a useless character. She was a total sexy lamp. Mm-hmm. But in this episode and so many episodes in season three, she's irreplaceable. No yes. one else on the ship would have picked up on his nightmares yep. at all. Nope. I mean, data is cool and all. And Jordy's cool and all, but they can't yeah. do that. No, they can't they do can't. that. So she goes over and she's basically saying, like, I feel that I can feel your distress. And of course, the last thing Dana wants is somebody poking around in his emotions. So he's definitely a little off-putting with her. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, a dark-haired woman once broke my heart. So that's why I'm a dick to you now. <laughs> and she's like, yeah. I actually I don't did think, think that was funny. Because I thought I thought that was I did because I was like, wait, did that really happen? And then he was like, no. And I was like, hey, you yeah. totally got me. That was, was a dick like, move right there. I was like, he totally, <laughs> like, totally got me. Because I thought um, like that could be possible. But like, what's the odds of that? Oh, he's joking. Okay, that's not possible. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> no, not a thing. Um, but here is something that I do want to talk about that happens. As they're talking, Dana is kind of feeling around this like dresser that's built into the brig and he finds a button to push and a panel slides back to reveal a sink of water. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this has confounded me since I was a kid watching TNG. How did the set deck people build that first of all? Mm-hmm. And then even if thinking about like inside the TNG world, where did that water come from? Is it always there? Wouldn't that drawer and those dressers be like musty and fucking yeah, it moldy as hell? It wouldn't always be there though. It wouldn't always, like it wouldn't be a standing pool of water because imagine how the enterprise works. Like it's always recycling everything and like everything's always running and moving. So in mm. my picture of how the enterprise works, once you push the little button to open it, the sink fills with some water, mm-hmm. but like when you close it, it like drains and gets used in other places of the ship or whatever. Hmm. Like that's how I'm picturing it. Just because everything that they, there was this episode of Voyager. I think it was Voyager. Yeah. Where they're describing to some alien about how the ship works mm-hmm. and they're like, everything gets recycled. Everything. Like, even like if you go to the bathroom, somehow your poop gets recycled and turned into boots. They're like mm-hmm. everything in the ship gets like used and reused and kind of like transformed so, yeah, I don't think it just would be like a standing pool of water because, yeah, it would get moldy and. Yeah. And then your clothes are gross. in the drawer right next to it, which is like those cashmere sweaters. You can kiss those goodbye because yeah. you're going to get all kinds of problems. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking. But mm-hmm. even from just gross. the practical effect standpoint, that is such a ridiculously cool effect. So cool. I was like. Oh my God, there's it a looks sink. so cool. Yeah, and you can like rinse your face. And I always wonder if they're splashing water in their face or drinking some water because they bring their hand up to their face and their mouth. And I'm like, are you drinking water and then splashing water? Yeah. Like, I, I could never tell. Even, even like watching this for this episode review, I was like, is he drinking? I can't tell. And I just think yeah. it's like so universal. I just think it's super cool. Super, I think from the, cool. from the set deck perspective, that water is always sitting there in the scene yeah. and they don't really <laughs> interact with it that much. You know, they just pretend because I, you know, they're not going to like fill it, refill it or whatever. Yeah. So that water probably is kind of gross um, depending on how long it takes them to film the scenes, but man, so worth it. So cool. So cool. Totally unnecessary effect and very appreciated. So Deanna and Dana have this connection 
And she detects that despite his behavior, he is inherently against violence, mm-hmm. which understandably Captain Picard is like, yeah, did you not see what just happened in the hallway? <laughs> like a couple mm-hmm. of minutes ago. She's going, he's not violent, Captain, but he's not. Um, He very much is. He's yeah. very violent. But yeah, I mean, OK, yes, he kills people from time to time. But in his heart, <laughs> you're like, let me stop you right there. Troy, (laughs) like, I don't know why you're talking to us about this. (laughs) Well, I think that she had, she had the right instinct and it served her well because she decides to poke a little bit further into like Roga Dana and his background. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to find like his military record. She's well, she's trying to find his police record, which he doesn't have one. And then come to find out that he was a soldier. Mm -hmm. And when she confronts him about his violence, Dana says, you can learn to do it if you have to. And I was like, wow, that is so perfectly encapsulating of the way that the military works today, where I feel like a lot of soldiers are against violence. I know my husband Mm -hmm. who's a combat veteran, he's always been against violence, but he's like, you Mm -hmm. can learn to do it if you have to, like, that's your job. Mm -hmm. Then you become good at it. And it's like, yikes, that is really scary to think about like what conditioning like you can go through to like have to use the skill, like in an emergency. Well, Um, I will also say, a lot of like first responder jobs are like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like police officers, firefighters. Yeah. You have to be trained to run towards the sound of gunfire, to run into a burning building. And as a soldier, you have to be trained to hurt other people, to even mm-hmm. kill other people. Yeah. For some greater good. Like you have to justify it somehow in your mind so that you're, unless you're just a total sociopath and you, or a psychopath, then that's mm-hmm. different because your mind mm-hmm. is like a okay with that. But for mm-hmm. the average person, you have to train yourself to do these things that are completely against animal instinct as humans yes, because yeah. that is not how our species survives. So if you're running towards gunfire, you might get shot. If you run in a burning building, you might die of flames or smoke inhalation. And if you, you know, go around killing people, you're not going to have a very long life yourself. Yeah. And so you have to be trained constantly. And all those first responders are constantly trained. Like even if they've been doing it for 20, 30 years, they're constantly in training to make their brains work differently from everyone else's brains. So that's like, that's a legitimate, that's a legitimate tactic. And I do want to point out, this is like, you know, we're having this really deep conversation right now, but just to make it a little bit more superficial, the costuming. Oh my God. Let's talk about his eye makeup. Oh my God. The eye makeup was really cool. Like I want one of those. Uh, But also his uniform. I don't know if you noticed his prison uniform was burned. It was torn. It was dirty. Like it looks like how it would look if he had been through all the stuff he had just been through breaking out of Mm -hmm. prison and like climbing through who knows what. And I mean, I just thought that that detail right there was just everything. It was he that costume and makeup and hair and everything, even just like the smudges on his face just looked Mm -hmm. so perfect. So much so that. I did notice, of course, the eye makeup was really cool. And I did notice that his uniform was like burned and ripped, but not so much so that it like stood out Mm -hmm. in a weird way. It just fit seamlessly into the story. I thought it was amazing. And I'm glad we have that little bit of lightness because things are about to get dark, Sharice. (laughs) (laughs) Taking a turn. Yeah, we really are. So as it turns out, Danar volunteered for the military, serving with distinction in several campaigns. He underwent extensive biochemical alteration as well as intense psychological manipulation to make him the super soldier. Some of the biochemical alteration was um, an electrical impulse like blocker. So that's why he doesn't appear to have like life signs and why he was able to take a bunch of phasers and like it hardly phased him, no pun intended. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, He was programmed to be this perfect super soldier and then exiled when the war was over. And the veterans just didn't have enough time to adjust before being thrust into civilian life. Well, and they got no help in readjusting whatsoever Nothing. either. It was just like, war is over. Okay, guys, we don't need your help anymore. Thanks, Thanks so much. And it was like, yep. there was no transition. I mean, there was clearly, there had to be months, years of conditioning to turn them into super soldiers, but there wasn't even a day spent on helping them transition back to being civilians, right? And it's like, if you took four years to create the super soldier. And then they were in war for 10 years. You should at least use, you know, four years to try to integrate them back into society and another 10 years of therapy, right? Like totally. Yeah. You need years and years and years. And Troy does bring this to the captain and the other senior staff's attention. And Picard says, essentially we need to like 
maybe look a little deeper into what lunar, lunar five is. And Picard says lunar five and orbiting gulag. And I was like, ah, what is a gulag? Because I've heard the term before, but I didn't know exactly, like I had kind of a general idea. It was like a um, Eastern European prison camps or something. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, let me do a deep dive on this. And oh my God, Cherise, what I found out, I was like, totally gobsmacked. So the Gulag was a whole system of like thousands of forced labor camps in the Soviet Union that ran from 1930 to 1955. Those arrested and thrown into the Gulag system varied from resistant peasants, members purged from the Communist Party, dishonorably discharged military officers, German and other Axis power prisoners of war during World War II, members of ethnic groups that were suspected of disloyalty, whatever the fuck that means, suspected saboteurs and traitors, dissident intellectuals, ordinary criminals, and many completely innocent people who were just hapless victims of like Stalin's purges. Mm. At any given point, upwards of 10 million people were imprisoned in the Gulag, which is insane number of people. Many of these camps were seen and like uh, propagandized as corrective labor colonies, but these prisoners had to like fell timber, labored on general construction projects, like building canals and railroads, worked in mines, Many prisoners um, labored under the threat of starvation or execution if they refused to work. And it's estimated that a combination of very long working hours, harsh climactic and other working conditions, inadequate food, and just a soupçon of executions for the funsies of it, killed tens of thousands of prisoners each year. And Western scholarly estimates that the total number of deaths in the gulag from the period from 1918 to like 56 ranged upward of 2 million people died in the gulag which is so insane. And I thought that that was actually such a perfect encapsulation of what Lunar 5 was like to Picard. And I loved Mm. that the writers kind of dug that up because this episode came out in 1990 and the Gulag was ostensibly like kind of done by like Mm -hmm. mid fifties. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of an old reference, but I thought a really cool one that was so appropriate and reading more about this, only made me want to read even more about it. Cause I was like, what the hell mm-hmm. was going on here? So it was, it was insane. Um, so I would say no wonder Dana killed to get out of there. Wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. So I did not know all that about the gulag. I knew it was a prison, but I did not know all that stuff. Um, and that is, you know, very similar to what's going on on Luna five, um, mm. except for the fact that the entire colony is just for soldiers. Yeah, that's the only type of person who gets to go there. It's like Mm -hmm. you guys were fighting to protect your people, protect your land, protect your planet, what have you. And now that the war is over, they just put you on a planet. They put you on a moon and put a bunch of security guards so you can never, ever leave. Yes, And it's just like really, really heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And the minister is like we give them comfortable home and food and like shelter and, Mm -hmm. you know, a few people. So in that sense, it's not like the gulag, right? Yes. But it's still very much a prison. It's not a vacation. Yeah. Even a golden cage is still a cage, you know, and, and Picard kind of remarks that. Yeah. 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 They say even the most comfortable prison is still a prison. And, and then he said, well, you know what, this is a matter of security. So I'm not going to talk to you about this anymore. You know, Nyrock out or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and Picard's just like matter of security. That is the age old cry of the oppressor. Yeah. And I was just like yep. snaps. Yes. Because the internal security call. It's like, mm-hmm. we can't really, we shouldn't really be talking about this with you. Also, thanks a lot, but, but out. It's like, Oh, this is getting, your application is getting put to the bottom of the pile. My friend, <laughs> like this is not looking good for you. Yeah. All. Because Cause now you find out the truth that like, well, you know, they couldn't readjust. We tried to give them comforts. And so we really couldn't, but we don't really care about that. Cause we don't need them right now. They're not useful. So just bring our guy back. We'll pop him back into that prison and we'll, we'll just keep on moving on in our lives. And Picard's yeah. just like, again, this is like a prime directive situation, except for the fact that they are applying to be a member of the Federation. So that means they like prime directive can be interpreted in such a way that you can't interfere in another culture's laws or the way that they run their society. But in this case, these people are applying to become a part of the Federation and the Federation has rules and like regulations and completely imprisoning a people just for the heck of it that didn't even do anything wrong. Um, 
yeah, it doesn't fit. It just doesn't fit with the culture. Right. So they can kind of, they can kind of be like, well, we can step in. We can't tell you what to do or not do, but Picard's very uncomfortable with this situation. And he's now kind of on team Troy of like, we should probably dig deeper. I don't like the idea of just handing him over and turning a blind eye. Yes, I agree. And I think that this was a really good call on the captain's behalf. And he does come to meet Daynar and he's like, I kind of want to tell you, I don't wish to send you back. I, it's, this is out of my hands. Um, Mm -hmm. We have to transport you back to this like prison collection vessel that's coming to like get you. But I really Mm -hmm. wish that it wasn't the case. And I wish we weren't in this situation. And Daynar does tell him like, you'd be foolish to keep me. I am dangerous and I will kill again to survive. it's like, he has, Daynar has no misunderstanding about who he is. He is inherently against violence, but he has been trained to survive in violence Mm -hmm. and use violence to survive. Mm -hmm. So this man is like, I know who I am and I will kill again. And what's heartbreaking is, as Daynar told us, he's killed 86 times and his enhanced memory allows him to remember every 86, Mm -hmm. like every one of those 86. Every time, yeah. Yeah, I was Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, that is really, really awful. Um, But then we have what is sort of like the, the... scene that sets the domino effect off where they're going to transport the prisoner. And they say, we need to drop force fields so we can transport him. And I say, what the F? No, you don't. Why? You don't need to drop the force fields to transport him. Yeah. The shields are not a force field, right? It's not a shield. It's a force field. It's not a shield. The force (laughs) field is one face of the entire prison cell. Yeah. (laughs) not a bubble Beam him through him. another wall yeah you know yeah, exactly yeah i, I like, don't seriously no well, you don't. but then but then wharf <laughs> comes in being all smarmy and he's like we have it calculated that we're going to drop the force field 0.1 second before the transporter goes off even danar is not that fast to go where it's a force field again it's not shields but here's my real question he ends up breaking the transport beam by just wiggling around question mark I mean, well, I because see- he's got the because he's biochemically enhanced and he's got like electricity and stuff in his actual body. Yeah. To me, it made me think of like the Borg because Borg can actually walk through force fields because of yeah. their their like biochemical enhancements. Like they can just walk. through. Yes. Them. Yes. But I was talking about the transport beam. Like, I understand you want to stay still through a transport beam because you don't know. So I'm saying break that's up. the only reason why he was able oh. to like mess with it, because anybody else wouldn't have anything in their bloodstream or body that could interact with the transport beam. Okay. But here's my my question though. Here's my question. You're wiggling around and your pattern can get lost. And like, because of his body's adaptations, he can mess with like the pat, whatever, Mm -hmm. but wiggling around causes an explosion. No, (laughs) he wasn't, he wasn't wiggling. He was breaking the beam. He was breaking the transport. Oh, I was like, I felt like he was just fighting it and it fucking exploded. And I was like, this feels like the Simpsons where like a wheelchair falls over and it explodes and a leaf drops from a tree and it explodes. It's like, what is going on? Why would that happen? Also, it was a giant explosion and like Troy and Worf and these other ineffectual AF um, security guards get all knocked backwards. And then all of a sudden a phaser's missing. Is he a sleight of hand artist? Like, when would that have happened? Like, when would this have happened? There's there's two things here. One is like, he broke the beam using, you know, body technology. Okay, fine. Okay. And then he, and then he ended up somewhere else on the ship because he still got transported somewhere. He just like messed with the beam. Okay. But he didn't break it completely. Sure. Okay. I buy that. But the phasers. The yeah. phasers, yeah. I was like, I can't deal with this. Somehow now a phaser is missing, which makes no effing sense. Yep. And later on, he puts the phaser into the um, turbo lift as like a, as like a um, decoy and then it explodes. Okay. So he took a phaser somehow as a magician, and then he had now has used said phaser, but then we see him in the cargo bay with a phaser and he's putting the phaser into the like control panel. And I was like, if you don't. Like, and then he, cause he took a phaser from somebody. Well, I'll tell but you, then yeah, he, has he knocked phaser. out, he knocked out that, yeah, there were two, we need to, we need to break this down because this is like, there were two, yeah, there were two phasers that came from guards, but there were two phasers that came from nothing. Because yeah. He also put a phaser <laughs> in the Jeffrey's tube. 
He, he did. put a phaser in the transporter. He put a phaser in the Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> he put a phaser, like the thing in the cargo bay. And where did all the phasers phaser. come from? Yeah. <laughs> you know what you do? Here's phaser. what you do. Here's what you do, security, because you guys are fucking stupid. <laughs> so let me tell you what you should do. When there is a super soldier on the loose, you lock down your motherfucking phasers. Close down the weapons room, post 45 guards in front of the weapons room, okay? And a force field around it, because clearly he couldn't get through the force field because otherwise he would have walked right out of the brig. Like, yeah. there, we had some issues here. So he- There were some issues. That, he that was definitely, I don't understand pattern. that. He broke the transport pattern and created a fucking explosion out of nothing. Yeah. So then okay. he got a phaser in a split second. Okay, great. So now he's got a phaser and now we've got the cat and mouse game again, which was fun to watch. So we see Dana in the turbo lift and he sets the one phaser he took from- Troy, I assume, and overloads it as a distraction. <laughs> We're just getting really heated about We're this. We're blaming Troy, which is so funny. Does she even ever have a phaser? No, I don't. Not until so. season six. She doesn't. No. Yeah. No. But we're just gonna say, okay, he got it off the desk. Okay. Yeah. But he sets that phaser to overload as a distraction, and I yeah. did think it was pretty heroic of Worf to jump on this phaser and like, as it's like, you know, like getting louder, yeah. and louder, like it's about yeah. to explode. He jumps on it and like decommissions it immediately yeah which i was also kind of like like when i saw it was about to explode i was like oh run like all they had to do was like jump behind the jump around the corner and it would kind of explode it wasn't gonna blow a hole in the ship it's a phaser like it was gonna it was gonna scorch the doors of the turbo yeah the janitors would have had to come and replace that carpet and put the old burnt carpet with the board carpet and that would have been that yeah so with wharf jumping on it i felt like that's a bit unnecessary like you could you could be damaged by that exploding on your chest but the turbo lift is going to be fine. It's not even going to blow off a button like from the, <laughs> not that they have buttons, but if they had buttons in their turbo lift, it'd be fine. And so I was like, I don't really understand that. But then he, you know, deactivates it before it explodes, which thankfully that happens. Um, yeah, but that was just clever though. That was a really clever. Cause I didn't see that coming either. I thought for sure he was going to be in that turbo lift. Yes. Okay. So we thought he was going to, I thought so too. I thought he was going to be in the turbo lift. So we see that, you know, Worf jumps on this overloaded thing phaser, and like, yeah. sh- thank you, the phaser and shuts it off. The next thing we see is Daynor as he two-handed Klingon punches this poor security guard, takes his phaser and heads to engineering. And then the next thing we see, Jordy is out cold and his fucking visor is like blown off his face. And, and not I'm just like, Jordy, but like they realize he's heading to engineering. So they're like, he's heading to engineering, you know, like captain to LaForge or whoever. I don't even remember who's calling who at this point, but they're like, he's heading to engineering. And then the split second later you look and everyone in engineering is knocked out. Everyone. You're like, holy cow. One of the engineers is like lying completely across the pool table in <laughs> yep. the middle of engineering. Yep. And I was like, dang, okay. That guy took a map like hard. Yeah. You know, he just clotheslined him when he walked in, he just, <laughs> and the guy just flew onto the pool table and just was out and that was it okay here's something that i immediately went no he starts playing with the isolinear chips and i was like no 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 you do not play with the isolinear chips it's the naked now all over yeah. again yep. totally mm-hmm. gave me a traumatic flashback mm-hmm. um so da- like data is actually like working at data speed thank god to try to like reroute and ascertain like yeah. what Danar what he's is doing. doing yeah mm-hmm. um so Danar is rerouting power to shuttle bay two. So then data informs the captain and Riker like, Hey, he's headed for shuttle bay two. And here's something that I thought was interesting. We next see Danar walking through a Jeffrey's tube. And it's the only time ever in TNG that you see a Jeffrey's tube. That's tall enough for a man to walk through. And Hmm. I did look that up and find that in my book. And I was like, huh, look at that. Yeah. And I was like, it's just kind of like a small hallway. How would that be between decks? That's kind of crazy. But mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, it's the only time we see it. So they never use that set again, which seems like kind of a waste, but I thought it was sort of neat. But now, yeah, now he's got these like random phasers. He couldn't have taken from the engineers because they don't wear phasers on the mm-hmm. job. So suddenly he's got extra phasers just to be sprinkling around the Jeffrey's tube. <laughs> like, so he, yeah, what? so he's got some other phaser. Okay. Um, that really, that was the only thing where I was just like, another, fa- another phaser? Like, where's getting, they don't, we've already established, we don't have pockets in TNG. Yep. So, and he also doesn't have a holster, a clip, any, where are these phasers yeah. coming from? But a in fanny case, pack, nothing. Yes, not even a fanny pack. So he puts the phaser in the Jeffrey's tube and whatever. And Data's kind of like, you know what? He's just, he's messing with stuff and he's leaving a trail. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this is for misdirection because 
he knows that we know that he has no life signs Mm -hmm. that we can pick up. So he could literally be anywhere doing anything and we would have no idea. So he's purposefully going around pushing buttons and blowing stuff up. So that way we have a trail of where he is and what he's doing. So what is that about? Exactly. So why is he leaving panels open? Why is he? Yeah. Like there's just a lot of misdirection because that is really his MO. And so data's like, ah, he might be actually headed for the cargo base because there's transport, you know, you can, there's a little transport pad for cargo there. Mm -hmm. So data or uh, data floods the cargo bay with anastasine gas, which is not a real gas as far as I know, and like puts him to sleep or it's enough to put him to sleep. And Worf and his team go in and they find that a pressure suit is missing from one of the cargo boxes. And so they're like, oh my God, he's going to try to go into the shuttle bay from the outside of the ship. And I was so bummed out that that didn't happen because I really wanted been to see so that. cool. Me too, me too. So cool. I was like, oh my gosh. And then I was like, do they have, because they have sensors, but for our benefit, a lot of times they have an external camera as well. So like when there's a yes. ship that comes to meet them, they're always like on, on the screen so that we, yes. we can see it as viewers. So I was like, oh, do they have like cameras on the outside? Are we going to see someone like, like moonwalking yep. on the, on the outside of the enterprise? Like, oh, are we going to get to see like the curves of the ship and like the little things hanging off of it? Um, but we didn't do that, but that would have been also cool. that totally makes me ask the question. If the ship jumps to warp while he's out there, it wouldn't do anything to him because there's a vacuum in space. So there's no like wind to knock you off. Wouldn't there be? I don't know. Well, but there's Although like inertial the, the dampeners equi- though. Yeah. There's the equal, equal and opposite force. So if the ship pushed off and it, like he was touching it, he could be pushed in the opposite direction oh. in theory, oh, but like go. it could also just like snap and disappear. I don't really know how fast warp <laughs> goes. If it really went warp, like what would it look like for some stationary object? I don't know. Yeah. See, these um, are physics questions we have to have answered. Have we need to. more physicists on our show. Like, clearly. <laughs> we do. We and really so, do. So then we're like, okay, he's got to be knocked out. He's going to be on the outside of the ship. So everybody's like, oh, no, let's get out there. I don't know what they were planning to do, but they all ran out. <laughs> I don't, I don't know where he's like, I've got a hell of a migraine, but I could probably get in a shuttle and like bop around a little bit and see if he's like, <laughs> he would, he would whoop Jordy's ass even from the outside of the shuttle. Like, <laughs> Yes. Yes, he would. <laughs> so, and poor Jordy, he always gets beat up. Poor guy. Sure so does. then next thing, you know, we see Danar like still in the cargo bay, hiding under some boxes or something with the pressure suit. So all that anesthetic gas that was pumped mm-hmm. in didn't do a darn thing. He didn't even put on like the little gas mask just to, I, I thought he was just going to put on the gas mask Me too. just to like breathe and like, you know, not get knocked out. He didn't even need that. So his body is so augmented that that gas was like a nice little spray of water and yeah. he just waited for the it was like the misters to- in line at disneyland yes exactly so <laughs> he waited for the security to come in and leave out and then he got up and was like well back to what i was doing doop 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 it's like oh my gosh well here's here's a thought that i have and i wonder what your thoughts are wharf hides and he does a little misdirection and he's like all right we'll cut him off at this in this pass let's go so you hear the doors open to cargo bay love that cargo bay door yeah and holodeck that, like, door sh- yeah yes and then it sounds like the team has left. So Dana comes back out and Worf ends up that he was hiding. Turns out he was hiding like behind mm-hmm. one of the Some cargo. Sure. Yeah. And at this point, he's like, you are cunning. You must be part Klingon. Da, 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 da. Now, here's something that happens. The phaser that he put in the Jeffries tube explodes, cutting mm-hmm. power to the cargo bay. Was he expecting that Worf was going to do some misdirection and surprise him? Like, were you expecting somebody to surprise you? I do not understand that. Like, well, what I mean, he was, he was planning a bunch of misdirections, like all along the way. So this could have just been one of his multiple plan B, plan C, whatever. I'm sure he wasn't expecting Worf, but he did need a distraction so that he could beam himself from the cargo bay to oh, the prison ship. Okay. Okay. So I think that explosion was supposed to be so people could be like, oh, something's going on in the Jeffrey's tube. And in that second, he would beam out, yeah. um, which is what he ended up doing anyways. He just had to beat the crap out of Worf first. And then he still went with his plan. Poor Worf. Poor Worf. So just so you guys uh. know who are listening, we actually had a chance to interview Michael Dorn, the actor who plays Worf, um, a little while ago on Clubhouse. And um, we got to ask him lots of questions about acting and the craft. And of course, his time on TNG and Deep Space Nine. 
And afterwards I told my mom like about how exciting this was that we got to talk to him. And the day before we got to talk to Garrett Wong, who plays um, Harry Kim on Voyager. And I was yes, like, oh my gosh, mom. So rad. So great. So I was telling my mom, I was like, oh my gosh, I had this conversation. Da, 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 da. And my mom's reaction was exactly this. That's cool. She would have been more excited if I told her there was a sale on toilet paper at Walmart. <laughs> but what did happen was the next day she, she realized like, oh, this is important to my daughter. I should probably pretend like I care. So the next day she texted me and was like, you know what? Did anybody ask Michael Doran why he always gets his butt beat every single episode? And I was like, well, you know, mom, that question did not come up. No one I asked it. Say, she was like, that's the only question I have. Why didn't anybody see, ask that? I wanted to ask that question. And I was like, I'd really better not because poor Michael Dorn probably gets that question all the time. Like mm-hmm. you're supposed to be this big, bad warrior or wharf is. Mm-hmm. And yet he's getting his ass kicked left, right and center. Mm-hmm. So really, it's kind of like in that stratagema, the Zach Dorn that mm-hmm. has like the reputation for being a strategist, Cole but Rami. no one ever tests it. Yes, thank yeah. you. Where it's like, but nobody tests it. Here, it's like even a step below that. Everybody tests it and they just walk (laughs) right over it. So you suck at like your job and like you suck at being a hard ass. But I guess it's a plot device. So whatever. Yes, I wanted to ask him that. But Michael Dorn, to his credit, I think, was there to talk about like acting, directing, whatever people wanted to talk about. So he didn't really want to talk about like Worf all day long. So I didn't want to ask, but I was wondering, I was like, didn't you just yeah. sometimes be like, damn, can Worf like win a fight sometimes? For real. And honestly, that's really a question for the writers, not the actor, right? Because the yes. writers are the ones who wrote him getting beat up all the time. Yes. He yes. just acted it out. So yeah, it would have been a it. question for the wrong person. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so that happens here. Worf gets beat up again. And then Daynar <laughs> transports himself over to the transport ship, the little shuttle that was supposed to take mm-hmm. him back to Lunar 5. Yep. Yep. And then you're just like, oh, snap. And I was like, wait, what? Because I thought he was trying to escape and didn't want to be with it. And obviously he got the upper hand and he was not their prisoner, but I was so confused. I was like, why did he transport to that ship? What's his plan? I didn't know what he was planning. You know what he could have done is he could have just gotten the phaser with the sleight of hand bullshit that he did in the first place (laughs) and just beamed over and just beamed over with the phaser and been like, hey, boys, have a seat or whatever was he said after all this cat and mouse. He doesn't need a phaser. He doesn't even need a phaser though. So like, I guess, you know, here's the thought though. I've had many, <laughs> I realized today. <laughs> um, they could have transported him from one brig cell to another. And what he ended up doing was transporting right onto the bridge of that little right. transport vessel. Right. So mm-hmm. now he was able to like get his way. And yeah, that's exactly what he did. He didn't transport to the brig to be in another prison. He transported yeah. right to like their cockpit and was just yeah. like, I own you. And those guys were like, Surre- I surrender because they know how dangerous he is. And, but I still, as a viewer, I was like, but what's he going to do with the ship? What's the plan? Cause it doesn't, he want to escape. And I don't, what's he going to do with these guys? Yeah, I, yeah. I was just like, where's this going to go? I, it was a big question yes. mark. And then the show goes on commercial break, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, no. So we come back and prime minister is hailing the enterprise. Danar has attacked the penal colony on lunar five and they're on their way to the capital city. And so Picard is like, we're sending an away team and Picard, Troy, Data and Worf beam down. And this was actually a very interesting scene for me because now the Enterprise is in possession of the facts and Mm -hmm, they know mm -hmm. that Nyrock or whatever his name is, is like not, he has greatly like a huge, done a great disservice to his citizens that Mm -hmm. are veterans. Mm -hmm. And that one smarmy little shit, like assistant prime minister Mm -hmm. was like, just we didn't want them around and and we might need to use them again it's like do you hear yourself do you hear yourself like we've done this horrible psychological conditioning that we did not disclose Mm -hmm. the volunteers yeah yeah that could it could be it could not be undone or like it might be but you wouldn't have good quality of life like we're gonna it might be but we have zero research into making it undone because we want you to stay that way in case we want to use you again. Yes. He said, we studied it thoroughly. And as a scientist, I'm like, I'm going to need to see the facts on that yeah. because that doesn't I'm mean say anything. False. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is this like perfect dressing down about the way you treat your veterans. Like Picard accuses, accuses them of making them into monsters and then condemning them for being monsters. And I think that's absolutely right. Where it's like, you did not even tell them this was going to happen to them. And then you condemn them for something that you made them did to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
is disgusting. Um, and right when this happens, Dana and the other veterans storm the capital city and we've got guys like zip lining down and stuff. And I was like, dang, okay. And you only need one of those guys to take out all those like bureaucrats. And by the way, all those bureaucrats, th- there was, th- there was the shitty assistant prime minister who was like 40 and then everybody else was like 80. So it's like, yeah. you only, you really don't, you only need, you basically just need Counselor Troy. <laughs> Troy and Danar and we're good. Like, yeah. we could just, we can round you all up and then have a therapy session about why you guys yes. are all dicks. Yes, yeah. So 100%. So they surround everybody and you're like, rut row, you know, mm-hmm. what's, what's going to happen now? And basically they just want, they want things to be different. They don't want to be imprisoned anymore. They want their lives back. They want equality and citizenship and acceptance and they, and very reasonable things that they want and they don't want to be Mm -hmm. tools and they don't want to be in this prison until they need to be quote unquote used again. Yeah. Um, and everything that they're saying, they have every right to have it. Absolutely. And the prime minister is like, we can't have this, um, call your ship. And I love that Picard goes quite right. And he goes four to beam up. (laughs) And they're like, like you said, this is a matter of internal security. You wanted us to stay out. You've got your prisoner back and Mm -hmm. we cannot interfere with the development of your civilization, which I suspect is going to develop quite a lot in the next number of minutes or whatever he says. That's like to that. Just, Mm -hmm. it was Mm -hmm. like, Oh dang, that was such a mic drop and a beam out. And I was like, yes, that was the best beam out. I have seen yet. Yes. And then he goes, and if your, um, if your government survives the night, we'd be happy to revisit this idea of membership into the Federation. Bye guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just like, Oh, so good. Yeah. It was so good. So good. It was so good. So that's where the episode wraps. And I like that Picard does kind of mention once he's back on the bridge that like, it's a matter of survival. And I have a feeling that the Angosians are going to choose to survive. So mm-hmm. there's going to be some shakeups, but I think they're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, cool. It wasn't just so callous as to be like, you guys are on the point of nearly getting murdered. Bye. It was mm-hmm. very much like, you know what you have to do. So do that. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting. And I like that. And Plus, he knows that Nyrock and the others are, because they said multiple times in those opening two minutes that they're intellectuals, they're academics, they're yeah. not into violence. They're not into, you know, brute force and blah, blah, blah. So when confronted with Jason Bourne and his whole army of super soldiers, they're yep. not going to fight. They're not going to, they're not going to fight them. They're going to sit and talk to them, which is all they ever wanted to do anyways. Mm-hmm. So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're not leaving them to die. The the Jason Bourne army are not going to slaughter the whole government. Mm-hmm. That's not what they want. They want to mm-hmm. be heard. And the other people don't want to get shot. So they're yes. going to talk. They're going to figure it yes. out. Yes. Yeah, they will. And they're going to be fine. Um, mm-hmm. So that's where the episode wraps. Do you have any final thoughts before we jump into next week? Man, it was just so good. This was just such a good episode. I have just like over the moon with these writers yep. and the makeup artists and the costume and the set deck and like everything has just come together for season three. Yeah. This is why this is one of the greatest shows of all time. Like this, this is, this is it right here in my yes. opinion. Yes, I agree with you. And this is one of my most memorable episodes for me. Mm-hmm. When I saw the little thumbnail and I saw it was Roga Danar, I was like, oh, this one. Hell yeah. Like I was mm-hmm. so psyched about it. I was like, this is going to be an easy as hell watch. It is not going to be painful or tough to get through or like, what? I don't remember this at all. You know, like too short a mm-hmm. season, which mm-hmm. I still, I only remember because it was bad, <laughs> not the other way around. <laughs> but yeah, when I see that thumbnail, I become irrationally angry. But this one, I was like, yeah, like I was psyched about yep. it. Um, so next week, we're breaking down season three, episode 12, The High Ground. Thanks so much for nerding out with us. We love it. We love you. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.